All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into Good Ranchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick and to get that deal and let's get on with the show. So if you wanted a lesson on how to break the internet, um, Elon Musk gave a pretty good demonstration <laughs> because uh, he went through the process of dumping all kinds of internal Twitter files. And it turns out a lot of us were right about what was going on at Twitter. But the important thing is to understand that not everything is as it seems. We're going to go through today. We're going to look at some of the things that were dropped. We're going to look at some of the government response, the media response, and we're going to break down and distill for you what were some of the highlights, what were some of the most important things to take away and remember on what just happened so it can better prepare you to make the argument for why. Free speech is a good thing because it turns out we have to argue on why free speech is a good thing these days. All of that and more coming right up. All right. Thank you guys very much for joining us today. I am stoked to get into this for sure. That Twitter thread was fire. It was really slow for Matt Taibbi. I kept thinking he died or been Epstein or whatever between tweets, but he got all the way through it and it was crazy. So we will unpack all of that for you guys today. You guys should definitely go over to the Volley app and join us over there. Let's get into it today. I hate being right about all the worst things. I feel like I'm constantly <laughs> correct about the most horrible assumptions about how this all is working. And this was really no exception. So I'm excited to talk about well, it. I, I, depressing. We, we've got we've got an event actually coming yeah, up we do. here. Yeah, we've got an event coming up this uh, Thursday. So if you're in the Central Virginia area, if you're around Orange County, Virginia, we're going to be over at Unionville Brewery. And I have a feeling we're going to be talking about some of the things that broke here tonight, along with some other issues that have been going on in Virginia. Huge issue with Matt Strickland and uh, Gorm Meltz taking down, where we actually have the ABC, the government ABC store, coming in and trying to shut down a business over COVID mandate. Yep. That's right. We're still dealing with this crap. And that event wow. is Thursday night at 6.30. Thursday night, Bre 6.30. Unionville Brewing Company. Unionville Brewery and, and Orange County. if you County go to Nick's Facebook, you can RSVP there and get all the information. Yeah, so we're going to be talking about that. But yeah, I, I, <laughs> I have a feeling at that event, we're going to have a lot of people getting up to the mic going, we were right. We were right all along. We knew we were right. <laughs> and and it's and look, you, you look at everything that came out from this. Um, I, I think what has been so frustrating for so many people is that it was so painfully obvious to all of us that when you have an organization that is essentially administered exclusively by people that are incredibly left-wing, we're, we're not talking about average run-of-the-mill Democrat, like union Democrats, right? The, the coal miner that, um, you know, wants higher wages. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the most woke, the most progressive people on the planet that would ban you for saying a man is a man is a woman is a woman, right? That was, that was a form of vile hate speech that had to be censored. Like we, we knew that was going on, even though they were telling us it wasn't. 
And then it was the whole thing from the left. We're like, well, if you don't like your own, if you don't like uh, you know Twitter, go get your own platform. Yeah. So Elon Musk said, okay. Um, and then he dumped everything. But the the biggest thing that came out from this, and and there was some really bad takes from the media, really bad, exceptionally takes. bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, in, in fact, I, I out of everything that was revealed on Twitter, I would say most of us kind of expected it to some level. I, I think there were some things that were especially bad, but. Um, the, the response from the media was also just absolutely absurd. It was either to ignore it or to just trash, um, you know, Matt, I, I'm always going to, I always butcher this guy's name. Matt Taibbi. 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 Yep. Matt Taibbi, who, by the way, a uh, spoiler alert, not a conservative MAGA Republican. Not a, right. not a hardcore yeah. right-wing guy. At all. Not at all. I, you know, there was a clip that I watched of him on YouTube um, uh, from I, I, I'm assuming this is at least from a couple of years ago, re relatively recently, but not like yesterday. Yeah, and he um broke down the formatting of media in America and the evolution of it, and it was spectacular. He it looks like he was in a debate with somebody, and he was basically making the argument that he used the New York Times as a good example of yeah. this, but he also pointed out that it it can apply to the right as well, but it's increasingly applied to the left, and he basically said that take take a look at the New York Times. After the election of Trump in 2016, the New York Times could have gone in one of two directions. They could have gone into an objective, neutral reporting perspective, and they briefly, people forget this, they briefly actually tried to do that for, for like six months after Trump took office in early 2017. They were actually like airing some more conservative columns, and they were trying to like interview Trump supporters and get a feel for why they voted for him. And then they promptly abandoned all of that. And he pointed out that, like, instead, they made the conscious decision to explicitly cater to half of the population in an attempt to capture their attention. And so rather than starting from the perspective that as a journalist you should start from, which is I've got this story right here. Let's investigate the facts and see the direction that it takes us. Yeah. Instead, he, um, you know, he pointed out that The New York Times and other outlets as well he also pointed out msnbc and for for at the time being cnn the washington post was a big one as well instead they have decided that here's the narrative that we want to push now let's investigate whatever facts can back up that narrative he basically made the argument that they're working backwards well, they're, they're engaging in bias confirmation yes exactly yeah. and and he pointed that out and he's like look it happens to the right too he pointed out you know one America or Fox, but but he he made the clear point that this is being pushed more on the left than anybody else at the moment within the media, and that's why they've completely lost so much so much credibility. Well, I, I think a couple of things. First of all, let's talk about something that that wasn't revealed uh, on Twitter, right? Because I think there was a lot of people that came out and say, like, see, this proves the election was stolen. Mm. Um. I don't think it does. Now, yeah. before anybody like just throws something at me, understand what I'm saying. I think what it does prove is that there was a lot of agencies and elements within the government that were trying to get Twitter to... Here's what I mean. Let me define my terms. When I say stolen, stolen is is like you went in there and you switched votes or you, you burned votes or you stuffed the ballot box. Right, like there's other people out there making that argument that, that those things happen. You know, Dinesh D'Souza has his video... I, so I, I'm not saying that there isn't stuff that deserves to be investigated. Like, what I'm saying is that if you look specifically at what Twitter was revealing based off of what was going on, the, the important takeaway is not to don't make it don't make it different than what they proved. 
Because the moment you make it different, the press immediately comes on and says, oh, see, you're, you're misrepresenting what actually happened. Exactly. It, it's more about, no, what, what they did was actually incredible. Because the main takeaway was not that the FBI went in and stuffed ballot boxes. The, the main takeaway was you had elements within the FBI that were actually colluding with big tech in, in order to censor information. And, and you had some people coming out going, oh, but Donald Trump was president during that time. Okay, do you think Donald Trump told the FBI to suppress the Hunter Biden story? Is that, I mean, is that the proposition that you're making right now? Donald Trump told all of his executive branch agencies to collude with social media. We got to kill this censor, story. To censor <laughs> conservatives and kill stories about Hunter Biden. Like that's, you think that was what was going on? Or do you think it is evidence of what a lot of people were saying? And that was, there seems to be a lot of, rogue activity within executive branch agencies that have decided to take it upon themselves, or at least certain elements within those agencies have decided to take it upon themselves to try to manipulate the press or manipulate the public into acting, behaving, or believing certain things. And so, I mean, if you want to classify that as stealing the election, okay, but I, I think it has more to do with no, they were deliberately trying to manipulate the election in a way that I would argue was highly inappropriate and in some cases of questionable legality. Like when, when you have law enforcement agencies or you have intelligence agencies that are specifically coming in going, hey, you know, you're, you're going to see this story, but uh, you should probably suppress it because uh, we, we think it's a foreign actor. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, like is, is that worthy of any investigation before we shut down an entire story, you know, as a, as an ostensibly private media company. And I, and I think what people need to understand, especially the left who all of a sudden loved private companies when, when it was Twitter and Facebook doing this, you need to understand that there's a, there's a big difference between a private company being able to operate within, you know, clearly defined laws that apply to everyone equally versus a company that is operating in a setting where either A, they're terrified because government agencies are constantly threatening them with, with new regulations, rules, or restrictions if they don't do what those particular politicians want them to do, or B, are trying to engage in regulatory capture. You know, we talked about this with SBF, yes. where an agent, where yeah. a, a large group like Twitter or Facebook are saying, hey, look, bottom line is politicians are going to come in and regulate this thing. We better get on the good side of the regulators so we can exactly. use it to our economic advantage while shutting down our competition. Exactly. So, I think that's exactly what happened here. And people are coming at this from the case of, from the side of being like, oh my gosh, well, you know, Trump was still in office, right? So I actually went through and listed a few of the biggest arguments the media brought. And this was one of them. They're like, oh, well, Trump was still in office or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, it doesn't matter. Like any company can look at this and be like, okay, so this is the incoming in uh, the incoming administration. We prefer a Democrat. If we play our cards right, if we pull our weight, this is going to be our next president, and he's going to like us a lot. So I think this is a great idea. This is, It's just business. It's just strategic. I yeah. understand why they chose to do it. It wasn't right, but I understand the motivation. It lined up so, with their ideology. It lined up with their exactly. future economic aspirations, and they had agents. They, they had agencies within the government. Or Again, I'm not using everybody in the FBI of doing this. I'm saying that they had certain right. decision makers within those agencies that were willing to collude with them in order to essentially give them top cover or to essentially, or, or kind of hint, hint, wink, wink, you better do this. Well, Nick, last week you had retweeted one of Elon's tweets and he said, Twitter acting by itself to suppress free speech is not a first amendment violation. 
but acting under orders from the government to suppress free speech with no judicial review is. Can you go talk about that? Yeah, no, th- this is this is important. I, I'm going to be honest. This is something that drives me nuts sometimes with some of my fellow conservatives is that every time somebody gets in trouble or canceled or whatnot, they're like, you're violating the First Amendment rights. Okay, let, let's. this is an important distinction and it needs to be made. The First Amendment protects you from the government punishing you for saying things. You can't walk in and tell your boss to go F off and then get fired and say, well, this is clearly a violation of my First Amendment, right? No, it isn't. Right. You mean I can't do that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it, it, it isn't. And when, and when conservatives make that argument, it makes them look ignorant. And I right. hate that. I don't like it when our side looks ignorant. But what Elon Musk pointed out, and this is the important distinction, is he said, yes, but when the government is essentially colluding with a private company or essentially threatening a private company, that they are de facto using government power to suppress or censor you for saying things they don't like. And the moment the left responded with, well, that was under Trump's presidency. Again, you look back, I'm like, okay, all you did was prove the other argument that we're making, Mm -hmm. and that is the administrative state is behaving in a way that is not in line with what they're supposed to be doing. It, it Again, it makes that other argument that you had elements within the Trump administration that were deliberately working against them, and in this case, deliberately working against, I would argue, the First Amendment. Right. So, Nick, I, what, mm-hmm. just ahead, one question here, Lydia. What if Twitter was acting willingly to assist the administrative state? Would that still be a violation of the First Amendment? So the, the, the question comes – so let's assume that the government applied no pressure on Twitter. Twitter was just doing it because Twitter hates Trump. And they were sending a request through an email. Yeah, so, so here's – wait, who was sending the request? Um, I believe it was the FBI or even the no, 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 Biden no, no. The campaign. Moment, the moment – here's what you got to understand. Sure. The moment the government contacts a private company – uh, on on something like this, there there has to be concern about potential for intimidation, okay. right? Because is, is the FBI calling Twitter every single time there's a potential issue? Is the intelligence committee call, or is it only ones where there's significant political consequences at play? Because now now you're opening up the question, and this is the this is the larger free speech argument of okay, if this is garbage, allow people to demonstrate why it is garbage. Sure. Um, but again, it's not like the FBI is going to come in and reveal sources in order to prove why they think what they're doing. They can just simply hide under the they can they can hide under the um, the blanket of like classified information and say, but trust us, this is bad. Mm-hmm. Well, the problem is is the the trust goes down significantly yeah. when you start censoring people because of this. So take that out of it. Let's just say, let's say the government had. There's some world where the government didn't come in to do any of this, and Twitter just decided when this story came out, this is going to be bad for Biden, so we're going to censor it, or we're not going to report on it, whatever it is. The problem they would run into is at that point, there, there's a real question, are you operating as a platform or mm-hmm. as a publisher? Right. Right? And that's that's a significant difference. This is the whole Section 230. Yeah. And there's and I will, again, another area where I get frustrated with some conservatives that say, we just need to get rid of Section 230. Like, no, you don't. No. You want a distinction. You want people to be operated as a platform. You don't want AT&T to be you know, charged every time somebody makes a phone call using AT&T and talks about right. something bad. Because then what you're saying is, well, AT is now responsible for monitoring conversations to ensure that illegal activity doesn't happen. Right? Do you, do you see the point there? Mm-hmm. So it's not that Section 230 is bad. The problem is, is that we have certain groups that have made a decision to not operate like a platform. They are They are... You're blatantly violating kind of like this this core area that's supposed to protect them as a platform in order to engage in what is essentially political speech. Okay. So I, I think 
that's the distinction that needs to be made. Now, would 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 a private company like so, for instance, New York Times is a publisher. If they decide I don't want to run any stories, you know, or, or we're not going to hire anybody that reports things that we don't like, they can do that. Private yeah. business. And guess what? Conservatives, they should be allowed to. They should be allowed to. And then what happens is another paper comes in and competes with them. Daily and, Wire. And reports all the things the New York Times won't report. But the moment you start actively engaging in that kind of censorship, it, it brings up real questions of are you a platform or are you a publisher? And then the other the other thing that a publisher can't do is a publisher can't deli- they can be guilty of um, slander or maligning or you know libel or or things like that. Sure. Um, so that's the distinction. One quick question here, Lydia and Christian. I know you've been following the timeline very closely. What are some key events that happened pre twenty twenty related to Twitter and the censorship, um, and then post twenty twenty when Biden was in office? Ooh, that's a good question. I'm not fully sure. All I know is that Twitter and all of these big media organizations have been heavily slanted against the right my entire life. In fact, long before that, like Walter Durante arguing for the USSR was, as far as I know, that was some of the earliest stuff. But I'm not sure what exactly led us to this point. I think that Jack Dorsey, so an argument that I've heard was that Jack Dorsey knew all of this. He's an evil, horrible human being. My husband really doesn't like him, and I understand why. (laughs) But I think that what happened at Twitter was first of all, going on for a long time before Trump was ever on the ballot. Mm -hmm. And secondly, is definitely something that the boss at the top of the pyramid definitely did not ever have to know about. Like, there's a good chance that this was just running on autopilot. I really think that's what was happening before the 2020 election. Now, when the like the FBI and the DHS started stepping in, that's a little bit different. I think the earliest documents we have from them on this was, let me look at this Intercept article, because this article is great. Um, and I don't recall the earliest date, but I think the real... I think that Donald Trump was such a highlight of all these serious problems that we had with our institutions. And everyone constantly complains about how Trump undermined all the institutions and made them all terrible or whatever. And I don't think that's the case at all. I think he was, first of all, a cultural symptom. We really wanted someone who would just push back and be strong and belligerent and bellicose and cause all these troubles for the institutions. But we also started to see how much, how deep the deep state, which you would just easily call the permanent state, the people who just never get fired, the people who (laughs) stick around for a really long time. He highlighted that in the government, and now he's still highlighting it in these private corporations like Twitter and Facebook and all these, you know, big tech groups. So I really think that's the biggest takeaway from um, before and during Trump's administration. I'm not sure what Twitter was up to before that, but I think that Trump really highlighted all of their ridiculous nonsense. Now, um, I, I think it's ridiculous for people to say that, oh, it's, it Trump's the one that, you know, caused us to lose or, or these institutions to lose credibility. Like, are you serious? If yeah. anything, he highlighted that there was a lot of things going on within the, again, within the administrative state. Uh, people call it the deep state. The reason why I don't like using that term is not because I, I necessarily have a problem with it. It's more because, okay, what does that mean? I like calling the administrative state because essentially that's what we're talking about. We have this huge army of of essentially permanent bureaucrats, and people have this idea that, okay, when the president comes in, the president gets to pick you know the the people that are running the executive because he's overall responsible for the executive branch. So I, I want you to imagine an, an environment or a world where you're supposed to run um, – you know, let's, we'll, we'll compare it to a company. 
Imagine you get hired as a CEO, you come into the company, but you're not allowed to fire any of the middle management that might be actively working against your objectives within. I mean, uh, I'm old enough to remember when Democrats would consider that somewhat anti-democratic because what it essentially means is, is that, hey, the people elected you as president, you are the chief executive. There's constitutional limitations on your power. However, you're expected to efficiently run the executive branch. That that's the job of the president, right? That this this new vision of the president, where they're the you know legislative and moral leader of the no, they're not. They're none of those things. They're supposed to effectively manage the executive branch. But because of legislation that has been passed and signed into a law, there's actually a lot of restrictions on who they can hire or fire. And some of that was done to try to prevent what they called the spoils system. It was the idea that somebody gets elected and the way they get elected is they get a bunch of favors from friends and donors and then they give them all positions within the federal government and the federal government never you know, acts efficiently or effectively. So that was what they were trying to stop by a lot of this, this system with public service um, employees. But now we've gotten to a point where it, it's the pendulum swing on the other side where we've recognized that you, you literally can't fire some of these people that are actively working against you within an agency right. and you've been, and they've been there for 20 years. They will wait out your four-year presidency. I've got another so article. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hamilton to your uh, question that you asked us earlier, I didn't get a chance to answer. Sure. I, I think that it's important to differentiate between there's two sides of this. Um, what, what, what certain people would call the deep state or Nick calls it the administrative state. I'll actually use the phrase deep state because it's not just the ad- administrative structure. It's there, there, There's two aspects of it. There's a public and a private side of this. Um, what is so fascinating is that the government can impose restrictions on free speech if it circumnavigates its own First Amendment restrictions by going to a private entity, historically be Twitter or Facebook, and use them to, to shut people down, right? So the government coming in and saying, you're not allowed to publish X— That'd be a violation of the First Amendment. But elements within the government going to Twitter saying, hey, you should take this down because this is disinformation or we're warning you about this. Suddenly, that's now legal, right? Because it's a private corporation. So that's that's what I think people are getting at when they say, you know, the deep state. It's not just the government. There's certain actors within the private sector that are integrated into the government that that are are together uh, contributing to this. Glenn Greenwald actually had a tweet that I pulled up. I had had it, um, I had had it saved, and it's phenomenal. By the way, Greenwald, not a conservative. He actually started off on the left, but yeah. he has been one of the people that have been covering this story right. relentlessly, and I, I just love what he has to say here. He wrote this in September. He said, It is astonishing to watch Democrats and their allies and media corporations posture their opponents um posture as opponents of fascism while their main goal is to unite state and corporate power to censor their critics and degrade the internet into an increasingly repressive weapon of information control and he it, it was an entire thread where he was like you know all of these people are are just in in cahoots openly with these certain elements within the federal government to literally shut down people from saying things that go against a prescribed narrative. And as for the reason why the the, the prescribed narrative is a left-wing narrative, this was a question that I can't remember somebody asked it earlier. Um, you know, wh- why is it that, that you know, Twitter is like this? Well, ju- just look at where Twitter's headquarters is. Look at, look at where Twitter's founding got its start from, right? It came out of the Bay Area. It, it came out of a, a place in America where easily 
75 to 80 percent of the population identifies as Democrats and not even just again, I'm not talking like, you know, Pittsburgh steel worker Democrat. I'm not talking like Midwest blue collar union Democrat. I'm talking Bay Area, white collar, college educated, college indoctrinated, quasi Marxist, critical theory believing Democrat. Like like the, the Bay Area is a special type of left wing liberalism that does not exist in, you know, Ohio. Right. And so it's it's not surprising that 90 plus percent of Twitter's donations from employees at Twitter go to Democrats. It's not surprising that 90 plus percent of Twitter employees identify as Democrats. It, it's not surprising that 90 plus percent of any big tech Silicon Valley, you know, corporation has its employee base identifying as Democrats because Silicon Valley is itself a bastion of this certain type of political ideology that genuinely believes that the means justify the ends. And if the ends are, you know, uh, the, the, this particular set of left-wing policies, it it's totally okay to trample upon what we would call classically liberal traditions like freedom of speech and inquiry in order to get to that. I've talked about this before in this podcast with the whole uh, emergence of what, what's called the successor ideology, the idea that the classical liberal you know, tenants that have upheld this country and, you know, the West in general for, for centuries is giving way to an increasingly illiberal, totalitarian, utopian ideology that masquerades as a liberal ideology, but it has very little in common with what we would actually call classical liberalism. So that's a longer explanation. But like for anybody that's that's wondering, like, why is Twitter doing this? It, it's because where if Twitter was founded in Kansas, it wouldn't be what it currently is today. It would be much more politically neutral, but it was founded in a place that is itself an echo chamber. I would venture to think that many Twitter employees join the company uh, and don't have very tightly held political beliefs. And because the left-wing narrative is what's popular within the company, they adopt those beliefs themselves for the purposes of advancing in their career. Um, but I want to bring up one point real quick. I, I've got an article here from Insider that says, Twitter granted requests from both the Trump White House and Biden campaign to remove content in 2020. Nick, what, what is your response to that? I mean, I, I have to see what the um, what the Trump White House was requesting. But, but either way, the, the problem that I have, and, and this is the part where, again, I, I enjoy being intellectually honest. Mm-hmm. So if the if the Trump administ- if the Trump White House was asking Twitter to to take things down, I I, I don't think that's appropriate. Um, now, again, could theoretically the White House or or a politician um, report something that was put on Twitter that was either um, that, that was illegal? So hey, we we've noticed that this these people over here are engaging in human trafficking. We think you should take that down. That would be one thing. I, I you know I doubt that's what it was. But this is the part where it's like, look, um, you know, as an elected official, have I ever contacted the press about something that they did that I didn't like? Yeah. Usually it's when I'm deliberately misquoted, <laughs> right? That's what I'll call them up and be like, you, you reported about this in this way. Like, why would I? But I, I've never, but never once have I then gone and said, now I'm going to drop legislation that's going to in some way <laughs> intimidate <you>. the press <laughs> or compel you to do it. What, what, in fact, what I did with a lot of... <laughs> What I've done with a lot of press is I've said, I'm going to go to social media um, because I'm far less likely to be misquoted in social media with respect to what I say than I am in your newspaper. 
So I'll go, I'll go back to like, look, this is not something where, well, if Biden does it, it's horrible and bad, but if Trump does it, it's okay. No, I don't want either side doing it. I don't want the government trying to use its power to censor Americans or to try to kick people off of platforms or to try, I just don't want them doing that. Now, now again, are, are there always going to be some situations where there, there's caveats to that? Yes, if people are deliberately engaging in, in violence, um, illegal activities, yes, I understand people to include government officials coming in going, hey, this, this person is... You know, whatever. You don't endorse ISIS having a Twitter account? Yeah, I don't endorse ISIS no. <laughs> having a Twitter account. Like, I, I would not be shocked if either administration went to Twitter and said, hey, I see that ISIS has an official Twitter account. Maybe that's a bad idea, right? Like, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have an issue with that. Um, but but you, to that point, Nick, like, there's elements of the left that think that we are ISIS. So yeah. so th right. this is an issue that I've had with, with people on my side of the aisle when I, I I get into you know certain debates with people over things like voter fraud because I am as a data geek much more skeptical of the idea that you can successfully steal every single election that Republicans lose. But I know yeah. many Republicans that just any time we lose an election they think it's because of voter fraud. And then I get I I you know I get into an argument with them, and I got to a point where I started realizing. And there's a reason I'm bringing this up because I'm about to pivot to the left too. Um, I got to a point where I started realizing that. If you believe that voter fraud is the reason that we have lost any election, not, not just 2020, any, any election, then you are justified in everything else that you are doing because it is an illegitimate you know, government that's ruling over you. It's an illegitimate congressman or senator or, or president, whatever it is, right? If, if they got in through completely illegitimate reasons, then you have no reason to respect their authority whatsoever yeah. or, or, exactly. or play the game. And so- how am I supposed to make an argument to somebody that that believes that an election has been stolen that they should, you know, work within the system at all, right? Because from their point of view, the system is completely illegitimate. There's no way that I can make that reasonable argument to them. Yeah. And and so then I have to make the argument of, you know, why the election wasn't stolen. And that's a really difficult argument to make with somebody that is utterly convinced that it is. Well, likewise, right. on the left, there's so many increasingly elements of people that are on the left that genuinely believe that that everybody in this room and everybody watching this podcast or listening to this podcast or everybody that just holds even mildly center right views let alone actual you know hardcore conservative or libertarian views they believe that those people are dangerous yeah and that that those people are I, how many times have you actually heard republicans are no different from isis or republicans are no different mm -hmm. from the taliban yeah. or or Republicans are no different from Nazis. Yeah. You have been called this by Democrats on the floor in the House of Delegates. Uh -huh. And so when you have an entire political movement that has, has described their opponents as literally being evil, as being the American equivalent of Nazis or the Taliban or ISIS— Anything is justified to stop them yeah. because, as you said, exactly. oh, well, it makes sense for the government to come in and say, you know, well, Twitter, you shouldn't have a, a an ISIS Twitter account. Well, if you say Republicans are no different from ISIS, yeah. then there's no justification yeah. for them to have one. Well, and that's – yeah, and, and I think increasingly that's where we're – everyone's using extreme cases in order to explain things. And, again, I, I look at it from the standpoint of, okay, if, if you've theoretically engaged in, in an illegal violent act – Right, I'm not saying you've been accused of something like you've you've legitimately in, in, engaged in a legal violent act. Um, you know, I, I understand that. Like, if you're actively trying to traffic children on Twitter, 
uh, you sh- right. that should be shut down. There's no question. And, and there's and there's constitutional precedent to shut that down. That makes sense because someone's now engaging in an illegal activity on your platform. They're using your platform for illegal purposes. That's not the same as I really hate that guy. So I don't think they should get a. I, I think they should be censored. I think they should be shut down. But you know that that's not how the left looks at it. No, I I I, right. I completely understand that. Increasingly, there is a. We've talked about this before. There is a reason why they say there. There's this excellent uh, example of this. It was a a Senate hearing between Josh Hawley and a uh, a activist, trans activist who I think was also a college professor, and Josh Hawley kept asking these questions. Right. And she started to get very upset. And all of a sudden was like, well, you do realize that the questions are actually used to perpetrate violence against trans people. Again, the the moment you say that questioning, asking, saying anything automatically constitutes violence. And we're making a distinction between someone that is deliberately calling for violence versus someone that is posing an argument against a particular theory. Right. Anytime you say that's now violence, you can respond in kind, right? Because we distinguish between aggressive violence versus defensive violence. And so now they're they're creating this world where anything you say that upsets them is aggressive violence. And now they have full moral authority and will seek out legal authority to engage initially in censorship and, and ostracizing people. Right. And then eventually you're going to see more of this, this theory that you see with Antifa and other places. There's a reason why I think it's something like there was a poll that came out that 16% of college students believe that it's perfectly okay to use violence. I think it was 16% okay to use violence uh, in order to shut down somebody else saying something that you believed was, was wrong or immoral. And again, the only way that you can justify that in your own mind is you either have to be a sociopath or you have to honestly believe that whatever they're saying is going to cause harm to somebody. And so I have this moral obligation to step in and, and stop them. And if that requires, that requires violence, fine. And that's the same justification that I think you're talking about with respect to what we think the left is going to use when it comes to censorship. Uh, Yeah. I'm, I'm just trying to build out like in, in explanation for why, especially for our listeners, it's sometimes it's really hard to understand. Like, why is the other side doing these things? And, and so the default is just, Oh, well it must be just because they're evil or they're stupid. Like hmm. there, there's a reason why the worldview that, that these people on the left have constructed is one that does not allow for freedom of speech to exist, period, because the right is pushing policies that from the left's point of view is evil and despicable. Everything can be used to justify stopping them, yeah. including using government force and coercion to do so. And quite frankly, if it, 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 the direction that we're going, I would not be surprised if, if this doesn't like ramp up over time. Now, granted, Luckily, with Elon's purchase of Twitter, it doesn't look like that Twitter's going to be engaging in this anymore. But I think that's why you're now seeing the left pressuring corporations and pressuring other business groups to boycott Twitter, right? Because now Twitter is is lumped in with us as part of yeah. the problem. Twitter itself went from being a mechanism through which the left could could exert its influence on the general public square to part of the problem itself. Yeah. And therefore, we must now shut down Twitter. I remember well, it, it was just a few weeks ago. They were basically, remember that rumor? They're like, oh, Twitter's going to collapse in 24 yeah. hours. Yep. And it didn't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. What a shock, right? That, that, that no, was a yeah. threat, he, not he a prediction. Fired, he, fired like over, yeah, he fired like over half the workforce. And I have not noticed any significant change in Twitter. Maybe they'll actually become profitable right? now. Right. No, right. no significant change <laughs> exactly. within Twitter. And, and here's the other question I have is because now the left is coming in, oh, we need to investigate this, and this is problematic. I'm like, Can someone please tell me what, what sort of significant shift happened 
between the, the previous ownership of Twitter versus the current ownership of Twitter, what sort of significant shift happened within that time frame that would tell the federal government, you need to be more involved in, in regulating and or investigating this? I, I would argue nothing. Nothing that, that has any sort of breach with respect to legality, and yet they want to. It, it, they, didn't have a pro- they didn't have a problem with Jeff Bezos owning the Washington Post. They right. didn't have a problem with any of this. <laughs> they, they have a problem with it now because Twitter is not someone that they can call up anytime they want and censor people they don't like. And for them, that's reason to investigate. In fact, I want to I I hammer home on this because Elizabeth Warren is now all up in arms about oh, we need to yeah. investigate Twitter. You know what, Liz, before you get to Twitter, I just have a couple other suggestions. Perhaps, maybe, maybe Twitter should be a little bit further down your prioritization list for investigation than, say, the Epstein client list. Or how about the fact that the Department of Defense can't account for, I think it's over 60% of its budget right now? Or here's another one. How about the Federal Reserve? Could could we actually go in and, and look and, and audit the Federal Reserve? Maybe these things, which are actually in some way either part of an ongoing invest, criminal investigation or direct agencies of the government or the organization responsible for the money supply, right? Th- these are all things that you as a senator, if you wanted to like, I don't know, get to the bottom of something potentially nefarious, these would be good places to start. And, and good news, bipartisan, bipartisan, right? I'm, I'm a combat veteran and I'm asking you, please, for the love of that all that is holy, can you please look at why the Department of Defense cannot find something like 60% of the budget? They can't account for what, what was spent or how. Like, I, w- I would like to know that as an American citizen and combat veteran, right? I would like to know why nobody on the Epstein client list has been prosecuted right now. I'd like to know that. These would be great places for you to exert your energy instead of going after the guy that bought Twitter because he's no longer censoring people you don't like. You're telling me that a significant portion of the Department of Defense budget just disappeared. They can't. They, what it did, no, it didn't disappear. It was spent. It was done. Other things. The problem is, is they cannot accurately they account for it. Track. They cannot accurately account for where a significant portion of defense spending went within the last uh, couple of budgets. Well, yeah, they're paying off all the aliens with it, and they can't release <laughs> yeah, that information. <laughs> so they, they they hired a division of DEI employees for you know. Yeah. No, but it, it's it, again. It, it, the government, we were talking about this earlier. You spend, you do a $600 transaction on Venmo, and by golly, the IRS wants to know where the hell that went. Yep. But, but the government can misappropriate hundreds of billions of dollars. That's what uh, we're talking about. After printing it out of thin air. Yeah, after printing it out yeah, of thin air. Right. We're not just talking about the DOD. <laughs> we're talking about Social Security checks going to people that are ineligible. We're talking about yep. PPP payments going to people that were never supposed to receive it as part of COVID relief. We're talking about other all countries, this stuff. Yeah, yeah other yeah. countries. We're talking about SBF. We're talking about FTX. We're talking about some of the Ukrainian crypto funding and all this other stuff that went into it. All stuff that falls clearly within the jurisdiction of Congress to say, huh, that's interesting. And there are Maybe we should dig a little deeper. But yeah. no, she wants to go after Elon Musk because Elon said mean things to her on Twitter. Yep. Yep. I think what we're really seeing here, you mentioned DEI employees, Nick, just for the record. Yeah. I want to kind of spin off that to make a little bit of a detour here. What we're seeing here is just the flagrant focus of left wing 
priorities. This is all we're seeing. Uh, Elizabeth Warren talking about this instead of, for example, like all the funds from the Department of Defense and all this other stuff they should have investigated. They weren't even curious when Jeff Bezos bought his own little newspaper, but now it's a big deal when a billionaire buys some company to kind of change the flow of information. Like, if you didn't have an issue with Jeff Bezos, you should not. You have no right to have an issue with Elon Musk. Well, you do have a right. Obviously, you have a right to discuss this. But you don't really have a leg to stand on when you're going to criticize him. And I really feel like this is just... I felt like when Trump was in office, I was finally seeing these good ideas that that I intrinsically understood were positive and forces for good in the world. I finally got to see some of them play out. Now we're seeing the opposite. We're seeing the leftist DEI. We're seeing these crazy administration officials who are being arrested for crazy crimes, who are playing dress up with the White House. And it's like, it's crazy to me to see the difference between the right leaning and the left leaning priorities. But this is This speaks very much to the left-wing authoritarianism. And for whatever reason, I know they try to pretend that right-wing authoritarianism is really a threat in the U.S. It's not. We know it's not. Uh, We know it's not because if it were, it would be strongly pushing back on left-wing authoritarianism, and it's not. So my former boss used to talk a lot about how a bird flies with two strong wings, right-wing, left-wing. In our case, we have a very infinitely weaker right wing than left wing because the left wing has control of all of these institutions. And I think that this Twitter response is so telling of their grasp on all of the institutions and the fact that they were working with the government is just such a sign. And I hope this, I hope this red pills a lot of people, people who are just rolling along, believing everything the news said and all of this nonsense. I hope that this coming to light is a positive in that regard. Well, let, let me ask you, and this is actually some. This is actually a question I got for kind of everybody at the table. What was the biggest thing that came out of this that you were like, "Oh wow"? Oh, the biggest thing for yeah. me was I cannot remember the guy's name, but there was one Democrat congressman who actually, in an email exchange with some of these people, was actually supporting the First Amendment. Yeah, yeah, was concerned about it. Yeah, and was like, and and he basically said, you know. Far be it me to say that, you know, you guys shouldn't censor news that's going to help my political opponents. But isn't this, you know, aren't we getting very dangerously close? Yes, yes. And he's like, aren't we getting very dangerously close to crossing the First Amendment? You know, and and he he was basically making the argument that that, you know, I I think even my opponents should have a right to to, you know, voice their you know, their, their, their message. And we don't want to get in a situation where the government is starting to, to, you know, tell platforms what is and is not acceptable views simply based on the political content that they're publishing. And so he was like, literally out of the entire batch of stuff that was released, he was one of the only people to have mentioned the first amendment by word or by name anywhere in, in any yep. of the files that were released. So kudos to him to yeah. actually be consistent and stand up for the First Amendment, even when nobody was looking, and even when it was arguably in his own self-interest as a politician on the Democratic Party to oppose it. So, I mean, right. uh, again, credit where credit is due. I, yeah, I was absolutely. actually positively surprised by that. What I'm disappointed at, but not surprised of, is the <laughs> fact that there was nobody else within the Democratic Party <laughs> that was voicing those same concerns as he was. Instead, the entire right. conversation the entire conversation was always just about, you know, what we should censor, how much we should censor it, and when we should censor it. Yeah. Well, no, and, and I and I do think I do think that's really important. So yeah, Congressman Rokana represents what is it, the uh, 17th Somewhere district in California. In California. 
yeah. 17th district in California. And yeah, to, to, to Christian's point, credit is due where it is due. And, and he, he did, he was, he was the one guy that was standing up, um, you know, among his party saying, Hey, this, I don't think this is right. I think this is, this is really problematic. So yeah. Good yeah. On I, yeah. Ro Khanna is an example of how important it is that we have moderates. Like I can only think of, a well, but few... is that even moderate? Like that's, I mean, that, I, I'm sorry, not to interrupt, but I, I think it's just yeah, yeah. principled. I think he took a principled yeah. stance on the first amendment. I I'm, I'm willing to bet I could look at his voting record and think like, there's a lot in here yeah. that I don't consider yeah. to be moderate, <laughs> but he was intellectually honest and that is more and more that is what I'm looking for whenever I talk to somebody within politics is like, do you have the capacity to reason? Can, can we be reasonable? Can we be intellectually consistent with one another? And if we can, then, then I can work with you, even if we disagree 99% of the time, because that means 1% of the time we can. And, and we'll, we'll fight like cats and dogs on the 99% we don't, but I can at least have the assurance that you are going to be a reasonable, rational human being and that you understand that there are certain concepts and principles which are necessary to both of us. Right. And, and they're not to be used as weapons against the other side. And, and that's so, what I saw him doing. So what you want, it sounds like, is for someone who understands that the shoe is someday going to be on the other foot. And you can't give that kind of power to someone who will then wield it against you. It's just bad politicking. Let's be real. But no one thinks that far ahead. So they're like, oh, we'll give everyone this bunch of power. Oh, no, Trump's in office. Now what do we do? Run around yeah. with our hair on fire because we gave too much power to him. When, and, you, when, and the interesting part, too, is it's not just, um, it's not just that, hey, if you do it to them, they'll do it to you. It's that you've incentivized them to do it to you. Right, exactly. Because if, if yeah. they don't, when they get power, if they try to do the right thing and you just slam them, then after a while, what ends up happening is, is the electorate looks at this and says, wait a second, every time they're in power, they flaunt the rules, they do what they want, they shut you down, and every time you're in power, you, you don't do any of those things, then we don't get anything we want. Well, then clearly the way that we get what we want is to do what they're doing. And that's the right. last thing you want because ultimately, exactly. at, at the end of the day, that creates the conditions where... You, there, there's no such thing as civil discourse anymore. There's no such thing as civil debate anymore. It's just pushing the limits as you possibly can and, and running roughshod over the Constitution and the institutions and the processes that are supposed to protect individual liberty. Remember so, um, the the whole blow up with Sam Harris, who apparently left Twitter, yeah. um, where he came out, what was this, like a month or two ago, and he he yeah. basically said, like like he he basically was like, Oh yeah, you know the Hunter Biden stuff. Turns out that was actually totally, you know, totally real. But I don't really care. I'm just glad that they shut oh, the whole thing down. He went so far as to say it's they could have found that, yeah. dead children in Hunter Biden's basement, and I wouldn't That's have right. cared because it was so important to defeat Trump. So That's here's right. another uh, tweet from Glenn Greenwald where he says, "All of this." He, he this is part of a, a thread where he was exposing some of these people that were advocating for censorship, right? Um, and and. You know, th th this collusion between big government and big business to shut down freedom of speech. And he says, all of this stems from the classic mentality of our would-be tyrants. All of our enemies, or, or, or sorry, all of this stems from the classic mentality of all would-be tyrants. Our enemies are so dangerous, their views so threatening, that everything we do, lying, repression, and, censor uh, and censorship, is noble. That's what made the Sam Harris confession so vital. That's how That's liberal right. elites think. That goes back to what I was saying earlier about how the mindset that the left has gotten themselves into, especially these Silicon Valley types, 
is that the right is so despicable, it's so evil, that we are completely justified in shutting them down and depriving them of a platform for them to share their evil, intolerant, bigoted views. And so freedom of speech as a concept just does not exist under the new left-wing paradigm that exists within these these groups because it freedom of speech exists only insofar as you're a good person and are you saying the right things but if you're a bad person and you're saying the wrong things why should we give you a platform to do yeah. it i i know increasingly people that like i went to high school with or that i went to college with that are like rapidly abandoning the idea that that people who disagree with them should even be allowed to share their views yeah. it's it's yeah. the it's, it goes back to the whole words well, is violence it's crowd. the arrogance it's the arrogance too of the idea that i'm i'm so right that i i can put myself in the position of determining who gets to speak and who doesn't but all right so that's christian's biggest surprise well lydia what was your biggest takeaway from the twitter dumps so that was similarly one of mine. I was genuinely shocked that they were all very confused. So to me, this smacked a lot more of um, ignorance than malice. And they ultimately just defaulted to, we're just going to do this with it for now. And whatever happens, happens. So to me, it kind of seemed more like they were just really confused and concerned about it more than anything. And then they were just like, all right, well, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we've done in the past. This will work for now. Just kind of like a stopgap. And I was like, this really is not like evil and it, it really isn't like evil. It's much more like incompetence than anything. So to me, that was surprising. I know a lot of people think that these big tech companies are all evil, horrible human beings. But I feel like much like the FBI and a lot of these permanent state situations, they're just normal people just drawn a paycheck for whatever reason. There are a few ideologically motivated people at the top who kind of direct their actions. And I think that's exactly what happened with Twitter. It shouldn't have surprised me, but it kind of did. And then Nick, I have a question for you about this. So we are talking about how the left is trying to paint their political enemies as ontologically evil. Yeah. And this rolls into who's allowed to speak and who's not. Because if your opponent is evil, you have a moral obligation to prevent their ideas from spreading, right? So these two are one and the same. How do we stop this? What is something we can do like on an individual basis to kind of slow this a little bit? I, I think there's I think there's two things. Again, I think the over-reliance on politics to save us on this is absurd because uh, it's just it's just too slow and there's too much. Again, it's not that you can't be involved. You have to be involved in politics. Let me just clarify that. You have to be involved in making sure that you're electing people that, um, you know, not only believe what you believe but represent it well. Uh, that that's one thing that I I find is is kind of a concern is that we're I feel like we're moving more and more to the idea that the the definition of representing it well used to be that you could articulate it, you could argue for it, you could defend it in a way that would appeal to a broad audience. And more and more, it's more like just stick it to them, right? Um, right. But the other thing I would say is uh, I think it, it's it's going to sound so dang cliche. Um, <laughs> it's the cultural aspect, and and the, the where. The, but here's here's the here's the issue. Here's where it's maybe a little bit different because I, I actually got in a debate with a colleague about this a while back. Where it's like, well, you know, this is cultural. We don't control Hollywood. We don't control the media, and and we shouldn't. I'm like, yeah, I agree with that. Um, but one thing right now that the state has a great deal of control over is education. And I don't want the state to have a great deal of control over education because I see what happens within institutions that the government controls. And I'm not just talking about the inefficiency. I'm talking about how when a government controls an institution, it inevitably becomes overly political and overly politicized. 
And that's what you're seeing going on within our schools right now. But but I, I will say this. I think it starts with parents understanding that their their kids or <laughs> Your kids are going to be exposed to some of these ideas, and increasingly it's becoming this notion that if you think this way, you're a bad person, and therefore you're not worthy of the same consideration that we would give other human beings who are good people. And if you don't think that's coming across in, in your kid's education, especially higher education, I can guarantee you it is. And so you, you need to make some hard decisions on what you're going to do with that, especially when your kids are younger. Because if they're not being exposed to the uh, uh, ideas and, and understanding and able to talk about it and articulate it, then you're going to create adults that can't do any of those things. Right. They're going to be incredibly frustrated, and they're just going to fall within whatever social group validates what they believe or what they want to believe. Right, it's it's the stick and the carrot. If all you've taught your kids is listen to authority figures, I'm the authority figure, and do what I say. Okay, great. When you're along with the authority figure, they'll find a new one, and and they'll obey that one. All right, that's one aspect. The other thing too is, like again, this this event we're doing. I I always try to make it clear whenever we do like some sort of public event, I want people who disagree with me to come out. I want them to ask me questions. Because one of the things I have found, and social media is a horrible space for this more often than not, but personal meetings are, are usually a great place for it. What I have found is when somebody comes up and like, you know, what do you say about this? You know, how, how can you believe this? And it's usually me saying, well, I, first of all, I don't believe that. What do you mean you don't believe that? You said this. Okay. But, but when I said that, this is what I was referring to and this is what I meant and this is what my solution for that is. And, and I cannot tell you how many times someone have said, oh, right? Or, or they, maybe they didn't even agree with me. Maybe they, had a, they, they didn't like my solution. But now they understood what got me there. And this is one of the reasons why we always tell people, spend some time asking questions about why the other person believes what they do, because that's going to give you some insight into their own life experiences that have led them to that conclusion, and then when you talk about what you believe, don't just make these you know, philosophic or esoteric arguments. You need to also add your own life story into that uh, because it, it's the human experience that is the, is the commonality among all of this. Hmm. And, and if you, know, you, you will, the, the left and right both have presuppositions about what leads people to certain conclusions. And a lot of times they end up being surprised. Not all the time. A lot of time, the, the stereotypes hold with respect to why someone came to a conclusion, right? And not even a stereotype, but just common heuristics and analysis. But oftentimes, people have assumptions about why I believe the way I do. Oh, it must be because you, you want lower taxes because you must have been a, a rich white kid. Um, oh, you, you don't want abortion because you don't know what it's like for a single mother to be in a difficult situation. And then they find out, oh, I wasn't a rich kid and, oh, I was you know, largely raised by a single mother. You know, and, and then all of a sudden the, the whole nature of the conversation changes because you've destroyed the preconceived notions that they had of you. Now, the only way that works is if you're also willing to have your own preconceived notions about them destroyed. That's true. And so when, when you can actually sit down and have... And not even just one-on-one, -on -one, but when you can be in a group and someone can ask you a question, you can treat them with respect, and you can give them some insight on, on how you came to the conclusion that you did, and they realize it wasn't because you're evil, mean, greedy, or stupid. Um, it, it was because you you just had different life experiences that led you to these conclusions, and we can have a discussion about it. That that helps limit that. The problem is, is that the number of interactions you're going to have on social media versus the number of interactions you're going to have in person is probably going to be 
infinitely in favor tipped of in favor media. of the yeah. social media yeah. side. Yeah, I, I, sure. I'm a lot more pessimistic than Nick is over here. Nick thinks that we can actually fix this problem. I think it's going to get a heck of a lot worse before it gets any better. I, I, I don't. I, I'm I getting didn't to a say point it when it get worse. I, I'm <laughs> just, getting to a point where I don't even think it can get better. Well, to the, be the question honest. was: is what would you do? This is what right. I do. I'm not promising you success. Yeah, I, I'm telling you, I don't know another solution. Look, I, I don't know. Another I'm solution. just here to tell you that we're doomed. I'm not here to offer <laughs> solutions. Thanks, Christian. Uh, no, no, That's awesome. No. <laughs> but but like, this is a a growing problem that I see, which is the the demonization, dehumanization of of your political opponents, and boiling down down into just being you know cartoon villains basically, and. Again, the, the left has done it for so long that the right is now responding in kind. And I, I'm mm -hmm. getting to a point now where, like, I will have conversations with friends on Facebook or I'll have conversations with friends in real life. And they are now making similar arguments that I've heard the left say about us for over 10 years now, as long as I've been involved in politics. And I, I can't convince somebody other, you know, it's so easy to... to to, to be like, you know, well, of course we, you know, need to shut these people down because they're evil. And then you point to like four or five things that you say are evil. And then like, how are you supposed to make a response to it? Like, here's an example. I have all these people on the left that, that you know, come to me and, and are like, you know, Elon is super dangerous for Twitter because look at all of these anti-Semitic tweets that I pulled up. Out of you know a billion users, but yeah. granted they'll 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 pull up like a dozen you know things of people saying horrible things, and then they will then use that as justification for why they need to go back to the old regime. What am I supposed to say to somebody at that point? Yeah. How am I supposed to? What am I going to defend the anti semites? Like, am I supposed to defend the Nazis? Like, I, I don't want to do that, but like, I'm being <laughs> and we're put not going into to. a. I'm, I'm, nope, I'm being nope. put into a position, <laughs> right, where by defending the classically liberal concept of freedom of speech, I am being forced by these people to defend Nazis or anti Semites from from their point of view, uh, right? Be, be, as, I was like, yeah, please clarify that. I, I, <laughs> yeah, just clarify I, I, again, that. Again, I well, again, I thought I did clarify it from. Somebody on the left will pull up some terrible tweet, a dozen examples of, of people saying really stupid, mean, bad things, right? And then they will show me this and they will say, see, this is why we need to go back to the old regime on Twitter where they were censoring all the right wing bigots and people I don't like. And then suddenly I'm being put into a position from this person's point of view where Oh, I'm. If I want to defend the classically liberal definition of freedom of speech, yeah, because I'm now being yeah being told that that I I need to defend. I'm being placed in a position where if I want to defend the classically liberal position of freedom of speech, I have to defend the Nazis. Yeah. that they're showing me, or I have to defend the anti semites that yeah. they're showing me. Out of a billion users, they're making a false association or a false comparison where it's like because this person said something that was reprehensible. If you defend free speech, which ostensibly lets them to keep do that, then therefore you defend what they you're said. defending what they're saying. It's like right. yeah, no, I'm not defending what they're saying. I'm defending the fact that they do have a right to say what they want, and we all have a right to come. And, and say it's and again, horrible. That's not a, under under. At some point, we need to do an episode breaking down this whole successor ideology because yeah. under this successor ideology, that is not acceptable. Yeah. Freedom of speech has given way to censorship because censorship is how you get the liberal utopia. You don't get it through freedom of speech anymore. The debate's already been had. Why have freedom of speech? We already know what's the right ideas. And so, like, I'm very pessimistic for the direction that that we're going as a society because I feel like that the classical liberal 
principles that have upheld the United States as the greatest country in history is being eroded. And I don't mm-hmm. think it's just being eroded on the left. I think the left has has opened the Pandora's box, but it's gotten to a point now where people on the right are like, okay, well, we can't close the box. We're going to use the tools right. that are inside the box just as much as the left is. All right, so you can. So we're gonna have we're gonna have a we're gonna have a a real world example of this, and that's gonna be on December eighth, <laughs> this Thursday at Unionville right. Brewery. So if you want to come up, if you want to come out to an event. And again, if, you, if you're coming out there and you disagree with me, you get the mic first, right? You, yes. get, to, you get to ask the first questions. Nice. Anybody that disagrees with one of my positions, you can do that. And, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to have a pint, right? If, you don't, if beer's not your thing, they got cider and non-alcoholic. You go out there, we're going to have a beer, and we're going to have a conversation like decent human beings, like Americans, right. like Virginians. And we're going to have that conversation recognizing something that's really, really important. And that That's is perfect. is that everybody in that everybody in that pub in that family veteran owned local pub, all right? Every single one of us probably have people in our lives that we care about. We have children that we're raising. We have bills that we got to pay. We got a lot of things that are shared human experiences, and we're going to remember that when we talk to each other. Yeah, and we're going to put that on 100%. full display and yeah. prove Christian. Is wrong, and we're not all. That's doomed. right. <laughs> all right, I've got to so, give my answer real quick. I'll yeah. make this yeah, yeah. very quick. Um, then I want to the, wrap it for sure. The one thing that really stood out to me regarding this situation was how Elon has handled this because he could not do this if Twitter was a publicly traded company. But he probably not. He could not yeah. do this, um, and and I think that he's handled it really well. I think that's fascinating. Um, we've been going for an hour now, so I'm going to abide by what Lydia says <laughs> and go ahead and wrap here. I am going to wrap. Let me let me close it up for us because Christian left us on a really pessimistic note, which is fine. I know that a lot of people agree with him, and it is easy to become pessimistic. But I think what Nick was explaining before Christian jumped in was a perfect summary of why we have to protect free speech with every fiber of our being. This is the most important thing because it's not about the founding fathers as such writ large. It's about us engaging with other human beings on a personal level and understanding that ideas need to be discussed. So on Timcast IRL, we actually had an episode we had to stop because somebody said something very strident that was actually true. This person made the case that you don't get rid of an idea by getting rid of a person. This is entirely correct. This is why we strive for freedom of speech. This is something that the founding fathers understood. And through this today's recording, we've talked about how the media responded to the Twitter take uh, the Twitter bomb about you know them covering up the Hunter Biden thing. We've talked about the government response with Elizabeth Warren. We've discussed why we were what we were most surprised about in this drop. And we've kind of talked about how to fix it. And I think that the event that you guys are having on the 8th is the perfect example of how to push free speech culturally. And I think, and I know Christian is incredibly overwhelming to look at this and just be like, how the heck are we supposed to fix this? But recall that the ACLU defended Nazis in the 70s. So this is not something unheard of. This is not something even that now left-leaning organizations. This is something that they used to do. Like they used to believe that freedom of speech was super important for everyone, including the worst of the worst people that we all, of course, totally disagree with. Um, And I think that at the cultural level, that's the only place we can start. 
I think we need to teach our kids this stuff. I think we need to engage with it with people that we don't agree with personally. And the other thing to keep in mind, Christian, is that if somebody's coming at you with just a handful of, you know, anti-Semitic posts, those people are likely ideologues and you're probably unlikely to change their mind. Uh, it's best to try to focus on people who are willing to really actually engage in conversation. I don't know how to break through to ideologues. I don't know if you guys do either, but that's not right now our concern. We need to maintain free speech push it. We need to focus on it. I'm really glad this Twitter case, this Twitter example came up so that we could have this really important conversation. So in summary, I think that the importance of free speech cannot be overstated. I hope that everybody enjoyed our walkthrough of all this stuff. If you guys have any final thoughts, throw them in here and then we'll uh, close it. All right. Thank you for joining us tonight. We will see you this Thursday, December 8th, Unionville Brewery, Orange County, Virginia, 6.30 p.m. Let's grab a beer and talk. See you next time. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to goodranchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, goodranchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to goodranchers.com, use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.